If you would, please, beloved brothers and sisters, open your copy of God's Holy Word to John, John chapter 15. We will look together again another time at Jesus' parable of the vine, the branches. This morning we're going to be focusing on verse 9 through 11. Verse 9 through 11. John 15, verse 9 through 11. If you would please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Jesus says this, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would cause this word of yours to be like precious manna, Father, living waters for our soul. I pray, Lord God, that you would so bless the hearing and the preaching of the word today that you would increase our faith thereby, that we would love passionately our Lord Jesus, that we would have zeal in a burning, uh, just a burning flame, as it were, in our heart for Him even as He has rejoiced over us. I pray, Lord, that You would kindle in us a holy hatred of sin and a renewed zeal to pursue ardently, fervently, keeping, holding fast to Your commandments as our very life, more precious to us, Lord, even than our daily bread. And Father, fill us with Your joy, that overflowing joy which You have between the three persons of the Trinity, that we have been called into your fellowship. Lord, fill us with that joy today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. When I was in college, and I want to preface this by saying that my experience in those years should by no means be considered normative uh, or even desirable. I made a lot of missteps back in those days. But the Lord used them, and He's turned them for good, and He's brought good out of them. But when I was in college, there were two fundamental things going on in my life. There were many things going on, but two primary things. One was that in my experience, I happened to be attending a very godless, anti-Christian University, the University of Texas at Austin. And as, the, as it were, I was not only attending the university, but I happened to be in the liberal arts department, which was arguably the very heart and soul of the anti-Christian hatred at this university. I had professors who would walk into class with shirts on that said, God is dead, deal with it. Your God's a joke. I once tried to defend Jonathan Edwards in an early American literature class and was laughed right out of class for the idea that we would even consider him somebody worthy of entertaining as a true great of American literature, much less as a theologian. The darkness was deep. 
It was all around. It was pervasive everywhere I went. But what it did is it drove me to the Lord. I remember during those years in college, especially those first couple years, where I would just, more for my own sanity, more for my own spiritual being, I would flee, as it were, up to the fifth floor of the biggest library on campus. And I had this one particular cubicle back in this far corner where it was really quiet. I will tell you that my grades at the University of Texas were nothing to brag about. Truth be told is that I almost failed out my first couple years. But the reason being is because of necessity, and I knew because my faith was under attack, I was driven daily. I would just go when I probably should have been studying English and literature and Shakespeare and the other things that were on my docket formally. And I would go and spend hours just in this cubicle with my Bible in front of me, just pouring my soul out to the Lord pouring over the pages and praying, and it was such sweet, blessed time. I found that as the darkness around me seemed to grow, so the light in my soul was getting brighter and brighter. Because Jesus was dear and near to me, and I sensed His love in a way that I must say I have rarely done since. I was just near to Him. I didn't care what people thought. I didn't care what my professors thought. I had Jesus and He had me. I was bold. I would leave that library with the light of God's Word in my heart and my soul and I would go out and I would just talk to unbelievers out on the street. But it's because there was a holy courage that came in my heart from being in the presence of Jesus. It's like, it's like uh, what is it, Peter uh, there and John in Acts 4, when it says that they took note of these men that they had been with Jesus when they saw their boldness. Well, there was a second thing going on. I also had, just prior, just during this time, met a certain young lady, her name of Karen. And uh, again, this is not something that I would recommend. I'm not something I would uh, exhort any of us. But I, like so many teenagers, had been part of the dating scene back in high school. And so I had, throughout my high school years, had several different young ladies that I had become enamored with, infatuated with, and this and that and the other, and many heartbreaks. But as the love of the Lord grew in my heart and my soul in that library at UT, so also did my desire for a young lady who shared that love, who had that kind of zeal, who just loved Jesus first and foremost above everything else and didn't care what other people thought. So when the Lord brought her and providentially allowed me to meet her, I knew here was a kindred spirit. And there was joy. She was in Pensacola, Florida. I was in the University of Texas. And again, I wouldn't recommend this, but we both had a few years till we graduated. So we waited. But during that time, what we would do is we made it a habit. And again, this was before, I, before smartphones where you could literally just keep texting one another from Arizona or wherever you are daily. 
with your beloved. In our case, I was in college, I was poor, living on ramen noodles, and I could afford about one call a week. And so Sunday evenings at my apartment with my three roommates, my Christian roommates at UT, every week, they knew, whatever else you're doing, you better shut up, and you better clear the room, because Steve has a phone call with Karen. And it was something which was non-negotiable to me. We would rejoice and cry and pray and pour our heart out one to another. There were words of love exchanged week after week after week, keeping that flame alive while we waited for the day in which we would be married. Just two days after she graduated. I was abiding in her love and she in mine. We were sharing our visions and our plans, our hopes for what the Lord was calling us to do and intertwining our goals for the future. There was joy inexpressible. And there was just love. Brothers and sisters, what I want to suggest to you today I want to do more than suggest, actually. I want to be quite emphatic about it. Is that our Lord Jesus Christ is telling us in this passage today that what He wants for you and I is that kind of love. That kind of passion for Jesus. And that overflow of passion which will flow naturally to others, His people who share that passion who love Jesus too as their supreme, as their all in all. You just can't help it as First John said, if we, we love God, we will love His people. I don't have to even be commanded to love His people. Those who overflow with love for Jesus, I'm just going to gravitate and you will gravitate, I trust, towards people who share that. It's contagious. It's wonderful. It's joy producing. These last three verses, verse 9 through 11, come right after the parable of the vine and the branches in verse 1 through 8. And there's, they serve kind of as a conclusion, if you will, on what Jesus has been saying. He moves from speaking parabolically, you might say, and using the imagery to being very forthright in what the implications of the vine and the branches are. And the two things that he has shown us so far is, number one, that participation in Christ's life was the only, is the only source of all spiritual good and blessing. Period. Earnest, fervent drawing in of the vine and of the sap of the vine, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God daily, is the only source that will yield spiritual good and blessing and will last and endure. And secondly, in the parable, Jesus showed us that abiding in Him is the necessary means of participation in that life. We saw again and again Jesus say, Abide in Me, and I in you. Abide in Me, you will bear fruit. If My Word abides in you, and ye abide in Me, you will ask what you will, and it will be given to you. And so on. We've talked about the abiding in Christ those were the two fundamental lessons Jesus wanted us to get 
The parable spoke about our abiding Christ and He is us. And the text today, verse 9 through 11, actually defines very clearly what that abiding is, and it makes it more tender. It makes it more gracious by changing abiding in Christ and He and us, or abiding in Him and His Word and us. And Jesus today says that here's the essence of it. If you abide in my love, if you abide in my zeal, my passion for you, and secondly, the parable described the resultant fruits, the character, the conduct, the works, the, the uh, blessings to others that come from such conduct, from such spiritual character. And Jesus called it there bearing fruit, which is the natural and the inevitable result of continual, persistent, dependent communion with Jesus daily and hourly. Today's text speaks of it more on the side of the human side and tells us that it is keeping my commandments, holding fast to them. And that then becomes sure proof that we are indeed, as Jesus said back in verse 7, that He is abiding in us and His words abide in, in us. That we are abiding in Him and His words in us. So brothers and sisters, what I want you to look with me this morning it's just three key things. I'm going to just call it this way. Love, obedience, and joy. I think if we could take verse 9 through 11 and summarize them, we could just summarize it into three headings. Love, obedience, and joy. Let's look first of all at love. Look what Jesus says in verse 9a. And I just want you to let these words resonate in your soul. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. That's one of those phrases we can just blitz by as we're reading through the red letters in our, our Bible. And just and we don't. That should be something which when we hit that, that should just put on the brakes. It's like, wait a minute. Did Jesus just say what I thought he just said? As the Father hath loved me, the Son of God, the eternal Son, from the beginning of the foundations of the world, the one who is perfect, the one who is the exact image of the Father in every way, the one who Paul says in Colossians 2 is the fullness of the Godhead incarnate in bodily form, the one whose thoughts and his will and his emotions and intention and his actions were perfectly aligned in, in the reflection of the heart and character of the Almighty God. I can understand. I can truly understand. It doesn't surprise me to say that the Father loved the Son. How could he do otherwise? Perfect communion. Fullness of joy. It's that second part. As the Father hath loved me, so, meaning in the same manner, in the same way, to the same degree, have I loved you. I can just imagine a few of these disciples here having just had the Lord's Supper with Jesus. Now walking with Jesus toward Gethsemane. Imagine Peter, you know, Peter and John, I'll never leave you, Lord. Peter didn't know 
He knew that Jesus told him, but he hadn't yet felt the burden, the impact of his own betrayal of Jesus, which was shortly to come. These other disciples who were with them, Jesus just says, as the Father has loved me, in the same way I have loved you. Jesus here declares himself to be the unique, which is actually what the word, incidentally, in our Bibles, only begotten. The word only begotten is a compound of two Greek words. It's monogenos, which means of one of a kind. One of a kind, unique, irreplaceable. Jesus here declares himself to be the unique object of the Father's love. But he also claims to be able and willing and in fact does to love his people, his sheep, in the same way and to the same degree that God loves him. The analogy Jesus makes is just this. Just like God the Father has loved me, the Son, in the same manner, to the same degree, have I loved you, my brothers and sisters, my disciples, my bride. The love that Jesus has for His people possesses the same depth, the same purity, the same fullness, the same eternality, the same perfections, the same joys the Father possesses toward the Son. So Jesus, as the one supremely beloved of God, the one who Himself was just like God, who was God in the flesh, the one who had never known a moment of unbroken union with the Father. Jesus claims for himself an intermediary place, a role in the outworking of the love of God the Father for Jesus' people, for God's people, which no one else except Jesus can occupy or fulfill. And he declares that the love which falls on us from his pierced side, his bleeding hands, from his overflowing shepherd's heart is truly the love of God the Father. Later in John 16, I won't ask you to turn there, but one chapter over, Jesus will actually make this point quite clear in John 16, 26. He's going to tell the disciples, In that day you will ask, as you will ask of the Father in my name, and I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved Me, and you believe that I came, that I came forth from God. So yes, Jesus does live to intercede for us, but it's not as if God the Father doesn't or won't hear us. Jesus says here that the Father Himself loves you just as He loves the Son. Well, how does the Father love the Son, and how does the Son love us? The Father takes great pleasure, great delight in His Son, because the Father delights in the glory of His own perfections, the perfect image of God, which is reflected back to Him supremely in the face, the works, the affections, the, the countenance of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 of His fullness we have all received in grace for grace. 
He is the fullness of the Godhead. The Father delights in the Son because the Son lives exclusively to delight in and manifest and rely on the glorious perfections and all-sufficiency of the Father in total dependence upon Him. The Son has a total and perfect orientation and consecration to the fame, to the name of His Father and the expansion of His Father's kingdom and righteousness. That very kingdom which then the Father has given over to the Son. Perfect union. In the same way does Jesus love His people who have been made clean by His Word. You remember back in verse 3 of John 15, Ye are clean. We talked about that idea. The idea is your heart is pure toward Him. You love His Word. You desire it. So that the sap can flow through you and bear good fruit. That's what clean means. If you love Jesus, brothers and sisters, you say, Steve, I know I'm not as clean as I should be, at least outwardly, but Jesus has made me clean and I'm relying wholly on Jesus and I love Jesus and whatever we need to do, Lord, make more of Jesus in me. Make me more fruitful. Jesus says, Assuredly believe and know that as the Father has loved me, in the same way have I loved you. You are my disciples. Will you stumble and fall? Will you fail to bear as much fruit as you ought? Yes. Will His love for you be diminished? No, it will not. The Father loves the Son by always being present with the Son. You remember in the garden, even when the disciples forsook Him, Jesus said, but my Father is yet with me. When Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness, apart from all other presence, humanly speaking, the wicked one, the tempter of his soul, came and tempted him three times. You remember afterwards, Jesus had passed the test. And the Lord sent angels to minister him. But what you need to know is that for all those days before the tempter came, what was Jesus doing out there? He was walking praying, feeding on God the Father in perfect communion. The Father loves the Son by always providing all good things for the Son, both materially and spiritually. Every blessing in the heavenly places. Remember Luke chapter 11. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts and the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The analogy here is that because He is doing all that through the Son to whom He has already given every one of those things. He will give all good things. He has blessed us, brothers and sisters, and will go on blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Jesus Himself loves us as the Father has loved Him the Father also loves the Son by sanctifying Him wholly in His humanity unto Himself to have perfect dependence and perfect consecration unto Him and fullness of joy in the Father, just as the Father has in the Son. The Father purifies and consecrates the Son, Jesus, 
to total death to self, dependence on the Father and fullness of satisfaction and delight and in consecration to the Father. And the Father does this by testing, by purifying, by crushing, by comforting, by filling and sustaining the Lord Jesus. That truly is a harsh, seemingly harsh and severe mercy. But brothers and sisters, that is love. That is the love of a father who wants what is best, not what is trivial and passing, but what is eternal, and wants what is best, which is God Himself, to be formed in the Son. Remember Isaiah chapter 53. These astonishing words, Isaiah 53 verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in the land, in his hand. Remember Hebrews chapter 5. This is one of those verses which if you've just never meditated on this, let me encourage you just to soak this in. Hebrews 5 verse 7 through 9. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, but it says this, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yea, the son, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having been perfected, it doesn't mean that Jesus formerly had sin and now he had none. But having come to fullness of human maturity and faith in the Lord and his God, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It was Jesus who grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man in his humanity. And he, though the eternal Son of God without sin, had to learn to fully and wholly and age-appropriate way trust in God. And to lean into God. And He did. And He did it, brothers and sisters, it says, through the Father chastening Him, through suffering. So it shouldn't surprise us then when we read things like 1 Peter. You know, the, the testing of your faith being much more genuine than gold which perishes may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the outcome of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. God loves you, brothers and sisters. Jesus loves you so much that He is going to put you through testing to purify your dross so that all that is left is Jesus, more of Jesus, and satisfaction and joy in Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to take up the cross. But brothers and sisters, if you are clean and your heart resonates with Jesus, then brothers and sisters, oh, what wondrous love is this, oh my soul. Reminded of the words of my brother Rich Mullins, he once described the love of God as seeming like a reckless raging fury. But when you're tempted to say, how could a loving God do this to me? How can I persist with my struggles? 
my physical struggles, this or that or whatever it is that I'm struggling with and I've been, remember first of all that He did to the Son. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. To purify Him. And so too with you because He loves you so much that He's not going to let you hold on to anything which sits in place of Jesus' number one supreme affection of your life. He will not rest until we get to the place where we can say with Paul, I count it, rejoice in my infirmity for when I am weak then I am strong for I see that His grace is made sufficient in my weakness. Whatever allows me to show more of Jesus, less of me is good and right. And I will by God's grace rejoice in it even though it's painful. You can truly understand what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 6 when he says sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Is that a contradiction? By no means. The joy which cannot be taken away. But where there is sanctification, the Father also loves the Son by honoring and glorifying the Son and entrusting all things to Him. And so too the Son does with us. You may say, Steve, what are you talking about? Because you recall in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, after He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross, and being found in appearance as a man, He was crucified as a criminal. Therefore God also highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You may say to me, Steve, that's wonderful. I thank God that Jesus is on the throne. I thank you that the Father has loved the Son and given all things into His hand, John 3.35. Th I'm rejoicing that John 5 tells me that the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. I would expect God the Father to do that for Jesus the Son. But then Jesus goes on in John 12 after and he goes on and says that the works that he does that when he ascends to the Father that he will give us that same spirit that we may do even greater works. Works of faith that we may walk in those same steps. Scripture assures me that I am a co-heir. I am a priest and king to my God. That Jesus, the one who has loved me passionately and loved you that not only has the kingdom been bestowed on him but that a kingdom he bestows on us that we will reign with him 1 Corinthians 6 verse 3 do you not know that we shall judge angels Paul says you want a verse that will rock you look at Revelation 3 verse 21 to those who are the recipients of the love of Christ, that sustaining, perfecting love, that they are fruitful in the Lord, who remain passionate to Him. Listen to what he says. Revelation 3, I'll read verse 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone heareth my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. Dining is that idea of close table fellowship. And he with me, but then look at this. To him who overcomes... And he will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the love of Christ. 
To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame, and I sat down with my father on his throne. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? I can't even begin to imagine. My Lord Jesus loves me and loves you so much that He's going to cause you by faith to abide in His love, to hold fast to Him, and He will bestow a kingdom on you and you will sit with Him even as we are already seated in heavenly places. We will reign with Him for eternity. And even now in this life, by our prayers, we are sons and daughters of the living God and we pray and when we have this kind of passion and zeal and are consumed by His kingdom and righteousness alone, we will see answers. Jesus says as much back in verse 7, chapter 15. Do you love Him, saints? It's your destiny. Do you love Him? Does it stir your soul to love Jesus and rejoice and delight in Him? supremely as He has loved you and rejoiced over you. If so, then the most evident fruit of that will simply be this. We'll be about keeping His Word. Verse 10. That's why Jesus goes on and He says, Continue in My love. If you keep My commandments, you shall abide in My love, even as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. What's that all about? The command is that you continue, you abide in that affection. Just as when I was in college and my wife and I would make those calls on Sunday night and my whole week was oriented towards that call. <laughs> All Lord's Day long, I, I was going on Sunday morning and getting filled with Jesus at our church down there. And then Lord's Day evening, I was going home and I was being filled with passion for my beloved, for my wife-to-be. And these days, like I said, we can do it moment by moment with my smartphone. I can keep the text. I can have constant communication and phone calls. The point is I do what is needful to keep the flames there, to talk to my wife, to tell her day after day after day, I love you. It's not enough, as I've said before, to say one time, hey, I told you I loved you back then. Don't you remember? If you love your, your wife, if you love the Lord, the expressions of love and overflow will just come. You just can't help it. You just got to say it again and again. And I got to draw near because I love Him, because He has loved me so very much. I will continue in my love. I will, and I got to admit, fellows, I'm, I'm being admit, this is an area I'm struggling with, I'm working on better, but I will bring her flowers. I will speak her love language. She will speak mine. That's because there's passion there. And I want to keep the fire warm. And I want to put away anything and everything that will keep me from being undivided and wholly affectionate in my attentions for her. So if anything, you know, when you, when you drive by a billboard or whatever, it's inappropriate, I, we're going to look the other way. If, if a magazine or you see something there comes in, it's like, you know what? I don't want anything that's going to diminish my affection for her. And so all of the things necessarily must be excluded that take away, that hinder that. That's what Jesus means here to abide in His love. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, All things may be lawful for me after a sense, but not all things edify. 
All things may be, after a fashion, lawful for me. I can say, is it wrong, you know, for me to go and if I wanted to take and just go away for a few weeks and do something, leave my wife and say, I'll be back, honey. I could do that in itself, but if, if I don't communicate with her, if I don't consider the impact on her, I could be undermining and eroding the marriage even if it's not inherently evil in itself. I could be watching things into the ear gate or the eye gate that are diminishing my affection for Jesus. Listening to music or this or that or the other would say it's not inherently evil in of itself. But the question is, does it strengthen my affection for Christ? The question is not what's wrong with it, the question is what's right with it. What's holy and pure about it? That's the question to ask. That's what it means to continue, abide in that passionate love for Christ as He has for you. And of course, with that means that we will keep His commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. The interesting is that word keep. Let me focus on that real quick. It's not the word obey. There's a different word for obey. And I would argue that obedience is clearly implied in this. But the word keep, the Greek word behind that, just literally means to hold fast, to hold tight, like a death grip. Not going to let it go. With a jealousy of affection. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, if you hold them fast as, you're, as more to you than your daily bread, man liveth not by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If you esteem the Word of God in the presence of Christ more to you than any other loves in the world. And that means that what Jesus says, whatever He says, and all that He says, I say, Lord, I believe it. You said it. That settles it, and I believe it. And not just that I'm going to obey dutifully, but Lord, I love Your kingdom. I want what You want. That's what passionate love is. I want what You want. I don't want what You don't want. I love what You love and I abhor what You abhor. And no matter what the Scripture says, no matter what the world says about what the Scripture says, I'm following Christ because I've renounced all other loves for that one love which is my one thing. Because Jesus says the pure in heart will see God. They will see the works of God. They will see the work and the power of God. They will see the love of God manifested. The pure in heart, brothers and sisters, will see God working. They'll see answers to prayer. They'll see power in the church. I've been deeply convicted by this myself, as you might imagine. But it has stirred up in me a desire to be much in God's Word, to not neglect it, and not just to read it as a thing to be checked off, but take smaller portions if need be, 
just in the past few weeks, just as I've been studying and thinking about this, what I've started doing at our home, we do our McShane's readings, and we're on, those are great. We have some good discussions around those daily, our private or our family readings. But I've challenged my oldest ones, hey, in the morning when I get up to pray, you know, you guys are older now, what, what if you came down and we just take a small portion of God's Word? We've been working through 1 John the past couple weeks. And let's just take a few verses a day. And let's just take 15 minutes and let's just read one paragraph slowly, carefully, prayerfully. And then what we do is we stop and the three of us sit there and we just pray over what we just read. So 1 John chapter 2, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. Lord God, thank you in faith that I have such an advocate with the Father. Thank you that Jesus Christ the righteous one is mine and I am His. Thank you, Father, that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. All those who love God will love His people. Lord, help me. Give me grace today, right now, to believe and obey that Word. Praying over the Word of God. Meditating on it. doesn't take long. It doesn't take long, brothers and sisters, but it is so, so sweet to the soul. Wanting Jesus to be my delight and His words my delight. And again, this isn't about work yourself into more and more affection with God. Brothers and sisters, the sense here is this. If you abide and passionately in the love and He is your first thing, and therefore I am seeking to keep His commandments, hold them fast to my heart, dear to my soul, the promise we have here, brothers and sisters, is that we will abide in Jesus' love even as He has the Father's and we will abide in His love. Meaning this. Think of it this way, parents. You have all of your children and you love every one of your children. And I know that you would do anything to see them walking in the Lord, to see their faith in the Lord grow and be satisfied. But when you have a child who particularly you're seeing the burgeonings of that faith growing, you're seeing a child who is beginning to show a deeper faith. A deeper obedience. A child who used to say, give you all kinds of trouble and constantly fighting against you, but now when you get the child who's saying, yes ma'am, mom, how can I help her? Son who is saying, I'm happy to do that. How can I serve you, mom? When you get there, you know what happens? It doesn't mean that you love the younger ones who are still struggling less. You still have love for them, but that means that there are things you will do towards an older son who is more in tune with where your heart is. You will be more free and open with them. You will give them greater privileges. You will entrust more to them. It doesn't mean you love the other ones less, but it means there is now a closeness and camaraderie of soul which enables us to trust and bless and be more open. There is a closer abiding that is happening. And our Lord Jesus says that if that pursuit of abiding in Him like that and maturity is ours, that He will pour open the blessings of His soul. He will answer our prayers. Verse 7. We will know the love of God like we have never known it before. And you know what we'll do? And we'll close with this. Verse 11. What a promise. What a promise. 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. This joy that Jesus offers to us is a joy coming from the persistent pursuit of full obedience and consecration to Himself. It's a joy that comes from a surrender, a complete surrender of ourself to do His bidding, to love Him supremely, and to submit to a love that is for us absolutely good and sweet. There is no joy, brothers and sisters, that anything in this world can offer you to compare for a moment with the brightness, the warmth, the sunshine which will flood your soul and stay there. When the soul is freed from the clouds, the mists of self, the darkness of sin and self-seeking. Self-sacrifice and giving ourselves away for Jesus at His bidding, just like He did with the Father, is the means to the highest, the most exquisite, the most godlike gladness that the human heart is capable of. It is for that that we were made. Why, brothers and sisters, what is your chief end? Your chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God designed you for joy. His joy. Accept no substitutes. Be merciless. Be tenacious in the pursuit of it. I want to close just with the words of a hymn. We're actually going to be singing this hymn during communion today. I want to just read these words to you. Loved with everlasting love. Loved with everlasting love, drawn by grace, that love to know. Spirit sent from Christ above, you have taught me it is so. Oh, what full and perfect peace, joy and wonder all divine. In a love which cannot cease, I am His, and He is mine. Heaven above is deeper blue, earth around is richer green. That which flows in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. The birds in song His glory show, flowers with sweeter beauties shine. Since I know as now I know, I am His and He is mine. Taste the goodness of the Lord, welcomed home to His embrace. All His love, His blood outpoured, seals the pardon of His grace. Can I doubt His love for me when I trace that love's design? By the cross of Calvary, I am His and He is mine. His forever, His alone. Who the Lord from me shall part? Ah, with what a rest of bliss Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee. Firstborn light in gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am His. And He is mine. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I pray that you would work mightily in each and every one of us hearing today. Lord, there is much dross 
There is much, Lord, I know in my life and my brothers and sisters, much that we, 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 we live like in Vanity Fair. And there are so many things calling for our, our affections. The stuff of earth that competes for the allegiance we owe only to the giver of all good things. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to stand. Let us be as people who are longing for our home, longing for our Lord. Father, I pray that you would grant us a holy passion for yourself. That we would remember that you, God, are the gospel. You are the good news. Lord, I pray that you would draw us like moths to the flame. Lord, draw us into yourself. Increase our affection, our zeal, our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as he has rejoiced over us. Father, we pray that you would do this. Not for our glory. Father, not for any other purpose except that Your name would be glorified and that our joy in the Lord might be full. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.